Well, shall we pray as we come to our passage this morning and reflect on that great word. Our Father in heaven, we just give you our thanks again for your word, the way that you've revealed yourself to us, both through the scriptures and through your Son. And Father, we ask now that your Holy Spirit will indeed grant us an understanding of your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what a passage to look at this morning, yeah? For in Revelation chapter 5 or 4, really, right through to chapter 7 and beyond, we get a glimpse of the throne room in heaven. And we see the Almighty God Himself right there, seated on His throne. And we also see the Lamb, the resurrected and glorified Christ, right there as well at the centre of the throne, having the same power and authority of the one who sits on the throne. Remember how Jesus said after his resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, the Lamb of God is a title that the New Testament writers gave to Jesus in the first chapter of John's Gospel. When John the Baptist first sees Jesus coming towards him, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the next day, as Jesus approaches John, he says the same thing again, doesn't he? Behold the Lamb of God. The Apostle Peter also refers to Jesus as a lamb without blemish in 1 Peter 1. And Paul refers to Jesus as the Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians 5. It's a title that reflects the redemptive and sacrificial death of Jesus. Now, the book of Revelations contains more than 29 references to the Lamb. For example, we find in Revelation 5, verse 8, Then I saw the Lamb looking as if it had been slain. Verse 9, You are worthy to take the scrolls and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and nation. Revelation 5.12, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Revelation 7 verse 10, salvation belongs to our God and to the lamb. Revelation 7.13, the great multitude of people from every nation, tribe, people and language are those who have their robes washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb. And here is the Lamb, the Lamb that looked as though it had been slain. And what a powerful image that is, for it speaks about the death on the cross. The Lamb had been killed, and his wounds are obviously still quite visible. What a strange title to give to Jesus in heaven itself where there is no more suffering or pain or death. But then the description of the lamb as being slain is all in the past tense, isn't it? The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who is now at the centre of the throne, is very much alive with resurrection life and power, and he is being worshipped in the same way that God 
is being worshipped. Revelation 5.13, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Now, in order to understand the significance of the lamb who was slain, we need to understand the, anim the animal sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned and their eyes were opened to their own nakedness, they attempted to cover their nakedness and their shame with fig leaves, didn't they? But that seemed to be not that effective. So then God killed an animal and made garments of the animal's skin to cover their nakedness and shame and sin. And a lot of biblical theologians see this as the beginning of the process of redemption, of the covering of sin through the sacrifice of an innocent animal's life. Animal sacrifices was then later commanded by God and it became firmly entrenched in the Jewish history. But all of that was temporary. It was meant to point to the coming of a greater and more permanent once-for-all-time sacrifices that would be offered up by Jesus on the cross. But the Jewish sacrificial system helps us to understand three things. Firstly, sin deserved the death penalty. There's no other way to interpret the fact that an animal had to die and have its blood poured out. Secondly, the death penalty for sin can be borne by a substitute. The animal would die in the place of the guilty person. And then thirdly, we learn, especially in Hebrews, that the blood of animals, the, bloods of, uh, the blood of bulls and goats and sheep, cannot permanently remove sin and they cannot cleanse a guilty conscience. A more permanent and complete sacrifice for sin would come and that would be Christ himself, the Lamb. The Lamb allowed himself to be slain we saw that in the last couple of weeks. No one took his life from him. He freely laid it down. And I mean, it was a mystery, isn't it? The almighty God in human flesh, the creator of the universe, with more power in his fingertips than all the kings and world leaders together, willingly submitted himself to arrest, an unfair trial, mocking, flogging, scourging, humiliation, and then a hideously painful death. Isaiah 53 sums it up. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds we have been healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here then is the lamb on the cross, destroying are sin, crushing death, and tearing apart the kingdom of darkness. The lamb was slain, not for anything that he had done, for we're told that he committed no sin and no deceit was in his mouth. 
Revelation 5.9, with his blood, the lamb purchased people for God from every tribe and language and nation. The very multitude we see before the throne in Revelation 7. That's the triumph of the lamb, the triumph of the cross and the empty tomb. He has won the victory over sin and death and Satan. When Jesus said, it is finished, that was a victory cry a cry that everything needed for our redemption has been accomplished. And now this Jesus, this slain lamb, stands in the very centre of the throne of God and is worthy of universal and eternal praise. His blood has infinite power to cleanse from sin. There is no sin that you and I have ever committed that it will not cleanse. There is no sin that we will commit that his blood is not able to cleanse. Yes, we deserve God's judgment on sin. Yes, we deserve hell. But instead, the lamb washes us clean with his precious shed blood. And he makes us citizens of heaven. And it will be our privilege to worship our God and the Lamb for all eternity. Christ is still at the centre of things. And here we see a great multitude of people from every nation, tribe and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. A vision of the great commission being fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. This multitude enjoys the immediate presence of God. There are no barriers. There are no waiting lists. They are in a place of privilege and honour. They serve him day and night, or in other words, continually, without ceasing. A multitude of people who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And that in itself is a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? I mean, how does one wash their clothes in blood and have them come out white? That's amazing. But here it picks up on the Old Testament theme of spiritual cleansing. Like in Isaiah 1 where God says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Although they are like uh, red, like crimson, they shall be like wool. It's a spiritual cleansing that came through the shed blood of an animal sacrifice. White is obviously the colour for holiness and purity and for being cleansed from sin. And the blood of the lamb is the only way that we can ever be cleansed. And it cleanses us from past sins. It frees us from the power of sin. And therefore it's effective for the present time as we sin every now and again. And it's the means by which we are reconciled to God and of being able to spend an eternity in God's presence. They have washed their robes. And how did they do that? Well, by faith. By faith in the sacrifice. That is, by faith in the Lamb. This great multitude 
a multicultural multitude, are those that Peter refers to in 1 Peter 2 as being a people belonging to God. Or as the new NIV version puts it, God's special possession. But then in our passage today, we're also told that this lamb, this lamb that looked like it had been slain, has a dual role. Verse 17 of chapter 7 says, For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. Now, sheep and shepherds were a common feature of uh, first century Israel. And the picture of God being the shepherd of his people is one of the most beloved and common images right through the Old Testament. But no one would ever think of a lamb as being a shepherd. But with this lamb, this lamb who is at the centre of the throne, that is absolutely true. John is told that this lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. And wow, that again is another amazing paradox, isn't it? How on earth can a lamb lead the sheep? How can a sheep be a shepherd? And yet that's exactly what John tells us here. The shepherd will be the lamb that was slain. A reminder perhaps of Jesus being both fully God and fully human. The son of God who became the humble lamb of God and the atoning sacrifice for all our sin is no longer humble but has now been exalted to the highest place and is given the name that is above every other name. He is resplendent with glory and honour and power and he is our shepherd who watches over us and protects us. Does it sound impossible? Well, it's not. Jesus is both the lamb and the shepherd. A slain but risen redeemer is the very focal point of God's redemptive activity. There are many Bible scholars who tell us that here we are being presented with the two natures of Jesus, his divine nature as shepherd and his human nature as being like us human beings in every way, or in other words, as one of the sheep or the lamb. Jesus is both fully God and fully human. Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus will become the lamb, sacrificing his very life for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. John says in his first letter, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Hebrews 12 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Revelation 7 this morning, Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. God is the source of our salvation. And right from the moment Jesus was born into this world, he was destined to die as God's appointed sacrifice as God's sacrificial lamb that he provides for us. He was given the name Jesus 
because he would save his people from their sins. When the angels announced his birth to the shepherds in the fields, they said, this day in the city of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Jesus said, I've come to give, uh, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, as being fully human, was the Lamb of God, the perfect sinless sacrifice who would deal with the human problem of sin and death once and for all. But when Jesus, the eternal Son of God, humbled himself and became a human being, God living amongst us in human flesh. Wow. John tells us that that very be, or at the very beginning of his gospel, that this Jesus was with God and was God. I'm reminded of the words that Thomas said when he first meets the risen Christ, my Lord and my God. And as such, Jesus being fully God, he is a shepherd. That great psalm, Psalm 23, we read today, the Lord is my shepherd. And we read time and time again that Jesus is Lord. John 10, Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me and I lay down my life for the sheep. Hebrews 13, now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. In 1 Peter 5, speaking of Christ's second coming, Peter says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Go back into the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I will shepherd the flock. This great multitude that's before the throne is his flock and he will care for them, not just through his word, not just through his earthly ministers and servants as he does today and through the Holy Spirit, but he will care for them in person. All the joys of God's flock, those whose robes have been washed white in the blood of the Lamb, will be associated with the constant love and care and companionship of the lamb as their shepherd. And our shepherd will provide everything that we need for life now and for life eternal. Jesus, the lamb, Jesus, the son of God who leads us, intercedes for us, feeds us, cares for us, provides for us and protects us. He is our shepherd. And I think here we have some figurative language that speaks to us about the intimate fellowship and communion between God's redeemed people and their Redeemer, God. In his presence, the presence of the Lamb, there is fullness of joy and fullness of life. Everything we will ever need is provided. The shepherd is seen leading them from pasture to pasture, leading them not just to the still waters of Psalm 23, 
but to springs of living water, the waters of life. The water of life that we're told in Revelation 22 flows from the very throne of God and of the Lamb. Their thirst for salvation will always be met, always satisfied. Revelation 22, also there Jesus tells us that blessed are those who wash their robes for they will have the right to eat from the tree of life and to enter the city of God. That is, to enter into the very presence of God. And the Lamb will be our shepherd forever. Again, in Revelation 22, Jesus says this amazing thing. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. And what an amazing statement that is. Jesus says, I am the root or the ancestor and the offspring of David, the shepherd king. And how can he be that unless, of course, he existed before and after David? Or in other words, because he is himself eternal. It's like when Jesus said, remember, uh, before Abraham was, I am. And praise God for that because on their own, sheep are weak and defenceless, aren't they? Yeah? We are being compared to sheep. I mean, sheep are fascinating creatures, but they can't do much to protect themselves. I've never heard of anyone being attacked by a sheep. They aren't very smart. They aren't very resourceful. If they follow each other, they get lost. If they fall over, they can't even get up onto their short, stumpy little feet by themselves. Sheep need a shepherd. And verse 17 says, the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. And for some who know the Old Testament Psalms very well, that's a phrase that might remind them of Psalm 49, where it, using the same phrase, speaks about those who seek after worldly pleasures and actually ignore God. Psalm 49 says, for those people, death will be their shepherd. In other words, those who fail to wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb, those who simply are seeking after the pleasures of this world, are destined to die or perish. Death will be their shepherd according to Psalm 49. It seems that there are only two possible shepherds that a person can have, yeah? Either the Lamb of God at the centre of the throne will be your shepherd or death itself will be your shepherd. So which will it be, Jesus or death? Well, the answer to that question lies in the answer to another question. And that question is, have you washed your robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb? Or have you ignored and rejected the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ? The blood of the Lamb is the only way that we can ever be cleansed. That's what this multitude cried out in a loud voice before the throne, wasn't it? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
Salvation is not something we earn. It comes from God and God alone as a gift through his son Jesus. Jesus, our shepherd, knows his sheep and his sheep know him and they follow him. The sheep know his voice and they listen to him. Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. But we must first meet Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away our sins before we can follow him as our shepherd. For those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be our shepherd. It is our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ who will personally lead us and guide us. He's not going to delegate that responsibility to someone else. He's not going to delegate that role to one of the elders around the throne. Jesus, our atoning sacrifice, will himself be the shepherd of God's redeemed people, both now and when we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is the lamb that was slain. Jesus is the risen Lord at the very centre of the throne in heaven. And Jesus will be our shepherd. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we just thank you again for the promises that you give us through your Son and through your Word. Father, some concepts which we might grapple with understanding, but we praise you for the fact that our salvation has been won through Jesus Christ, that through his blood shed on the cross we can have our sins forgiven and we can be cleansed, the sort of made as white as snow. Father, we thank you for his promise to be our shepherd. Father, we ask now that you will guide us through your Son, through your Spirit, in our lives here on earth. And indeed, we look forward to that great day when we will be part of that multitude around the throne and before the throne, giving you praise you and your son Jesus, for all eternity. And we thank you in his name now. Amen.